You're listening to the Renew Life Church podcast. We hope this message inspires you and challenges you to become a true disciple of Jesus. To find out more about us, go to renewlifechurch.com. All right, good morning, good morning. How's everybody doing? As always, let's give our worship team, look at them, they're already getting going. Give our worship team a round of applause. Y'all got it figured out. Uh, so good to be here this morning. If you're new here, uh, my name's Braden. Uh, I'm the senior pastor here at Renew Life Church, and uh, I'm glad you're here. It's been, uh, it's been almost uh, 10 years since my wife and I planted uh, the church here in, um, here in, I'm trying to remember what city I'm in, <laughs> in Midland. Thank you, Neil. Uh, and so it's just, it's just incredible to come back, see faces I hadn't seen in a while. Uh, the 10 years, it just, it, it's kind of flown by. Then in some ways it hasn't. It's where all the gray hairs come in. Uh, have y'all noticed this little side thing? Are y'all, some of the guys help me out. When they start turning gray, do they start getting impossible to comb? Is that a thing? This guy's like, I don't know. I just cut all mine off, you know, and started growing out the chin there. Yeah. Uh, I realized I was talking, I had a, but lunch with a friend of mine, one of my really good friends is a, one of the elders over at Stonegate, uh, Craig King. And uh, we had an amazing lunch the other day. He was, we were just chatting about some leadership stuff and we got done, had an incredible time and we were leaving. And he goes, oh, by the way, I thought I'd let you know the gray's coming in great. And uh, I was like, you jerk. Like, <laughs> it was all fun and games till you said that. But anyway, it's so good to see uh, so many of you faces. I, I got to call out Zach Ruth, man. He's hating that I'm calling him out. I, every time I see Zach, I knew we were gonna be friends forever because uh, they've been coming to our church for years now. And one Sunday after our service, he, y'all just started coming and he came up to me and he said, you know, um, that Sunday you did the Nacho Libre impression, I knew you were my pastor. And I was like, thank you so much for listening to all the other good stuff I said about the scriptures and stuff, but glad the Nacho worked for you. But anyway, so good to see everybody. Uh, we're gonna jump right in. Uh, John chapter six, if you got your Bibles, Turn to John chapter six. You know what, before we go any further, I wanna introduce a friend of mine. Uh, <clears throat> Dwayne, would you and your wife, Karen, please stand up. I wanna introduce you guys to some friends of mine. This is Dwayne and Karen Smith. I actually just met Karen uh, yesterday when they flew in. Uh, well, I guess technically I might've met you this morning at, after midnight. Uh, their flights almost got canceled, but uh, you'll hear a lot more about Dwayne. Dwayne is a legend that I've gotta tell the world about. So uh, Dwayne and his wife, I'll tell you a quick story. Uh, 20 years ago, or right about 20 years ago, there was a, uh, an Indian guy named Anil and his mom praying for revival in India. And uh, the same night, Anil and his mom both had the same vision. And in this vision, uh, they saw a white man walking across the ocean. And uh, at, the, at this point in Dwayne Karen's life, the, the, they had a word from the Lord that the Lord was gonna give them a part of the third world. They didn't know exactly what it was, but they were really praying and stewarding over that. And uh, that was 20 years ago. Uh, the, after they got the vision, I think it was Anil's mom that said, the Lord's gonna give you the email address to this guy, this mysterious white man that's walking across the ocean. And it was Dwayne's email address. And so the Lord literally gave him the email. He sent the email, it goes to Dwayne. 20 years later, they've planted four to 500 churches in India, uh, seeing incredible things happen. And one of, the, one of the cool things about that is we're actually getting to be a part of that now. So y'all didn't know this, but we just gave $50,000 towards their minister's conference. Uh, yes. And um, 
and I'm going next year. Uh, well, I was until they told me they don't eat beef over there. And so we just need to send more money. Uh, <laughs> send cows or something. Uh, no, all jokes aside, I'm actually going over there in February. We, we feel like Dwayne and I, when we met, it was just one of those things where he's become such a spiritual father in my life. And just, uh, you need spiritual fathers that are men. You know what I'm saying? And, and Dwayne's just a man's man and had a, the last few years getting to know him has been incredible. Uh, both of us, I think, feel a kindred uh, connection about kind of what God's gonna maybe do in the future. And so we're gonna be partnering with their organization moving forward. I'm gonna go over there with them next February, see what God's doing over there, be a part, and just see what God would have us do as Renew Life Church, with Renew Life Church and partnering with them. I think I might even be going to the Philippines too. They've done another, another work in the Philippines. Just incredible, incredible, uh, all the things that they've, they've done and said yes to. Can we just one more time, just give them a round of applause. So love you guys. I'm, I'm, I'm glad I'm a part of the church, not just this church. And I love celebrating that. So um, I, I, wanna, I wanna start by giving just a bit of this church's history. Uh, 2019 was a very interesting year for this, this particular church. Uh, by so many metrics, uh, our church was doing really, really well. Uh, we were in the, the final stages of this building that we're in today. We had the money uh, to build it. We were starting the project and um, Things were going really, really well. Financially, we're really good. Uh, I think that Easter in 2019, we had like 1,700 people uh, come and, you know, just, you know, I think five or six years into the start of the church, whatever that was. And those were back when we would go and rent out the Horseshoe Theater. Who, whoever came to one of our events at the, or Easter's at the Horseshoe, so quite a few of you. Um, and so we were at the Horseshoe, we'd have to rent it out. And uh, in, a, in so many ways, God was just doing incredible things. We were seeing miracles, crazy miracles every single Sunday. And it was fascinating uh, to, to get to be a part of it, to be quite honest with you, because I, was, I think I was the only person, well, me and my wife were the only people in the room that knew how little I knew what I was doing. So uh, it was good that God was working. And, uh, but it was just incredible. And, <clears throat> but uh, uh, I think it was shortly after our Easter service. And uh, for those of you who don't know this, um, I've got it down to about a science. Easter, you're gonna see about a 70% spike on Easter. So on Easter Sunday, this is what you see today. It's going to have a 70% spike. I mean, like I said, I think I told you guys last time I was here, there was like 1,500 people this last Easter. So post-COVID, things are, are, are heading back in, the, in a good direction in that regard. Uh, but you'll see a 70% spike on Easter. And what I've learned over the years is how to prepare our staff for the letdown the next Sunday. Because you're like, oh my gosh, our church is, it's growing. And then you come back the next Sunday and it's kind of what it was before in a lot of ways. And we, we can kind of giggle at that, but if I'm just being honest with you, after years of watching that, I, something in my, in my heart just started to realize we're, something's not right. Something's just not right. Because I, I was starting to realize, I think we've gotten really good at gathering a crowd, but I don't know if we're actually making disciples. I've figured out how to put butts in seats. <laughs> we figured out how to get lights. And, 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 and again, I love all that. And I'm glad your butts are in the seats. Um, but I just, as I was watching certain things, I'm like, I just, I don't know that we're, I don't know that we're making disciples. And according to scripture, we're not just supposed to be gathering crowds. We're supposed to be making disciples. About that time, I read a book by the by a guy named Francis Chan. Anybody ever heard of Francis Chan? Uh, incredible, incredible guy. I don't agree with all of his theology, but uh, he probably don't agree with all mine. So there you go. Um, and so 
he, he wrote Crazy Love, which was an incredible book. He's got a Crazy Love podcast. I really would encourage you to read it. It's very challenging. Uh, but he, about that time, he had also released another book called Letters to the Church. Anybody ever read the book Letters to the Church? Few, you should read that book. Uh, I read that book and man, it really got me. Uh, I read that book because I watched um, a video clip where he was promoting his book. And in that video clip, here's what he said. He said, I would challenge all pastors and leaders out there. He said, describe the church, but only use scripture. Describe the church, but only use scripture. He said, the second thing I want you to do is now compare your church to that church. And then the last question is, ask yourself, are you okay with that? Are you okay with that? And as many things that I, I think we had in some ways gone in the right direction. I mean, when you're seeing signs, wonders, and miracles in your church every Sunday, something's going the right direction. But I think there was just a few that if I was just being honest, I said, yeah, I don't, I don't think I like what I see and I'm not satisfied with the fact that our church doesn't look as much like the church I see in scripture. And so it kind of sent us, um, it kind of sent us on a journey where we had to answer the question, how are we defining success? How, how are we actually defining success? Does the fact that we had a 70% spike on Easter and had some big number and had to rent out a bigger facility, is that a sign of success if the next week we go right back to the same number? It's quiet in this Baptist church this morning. <laughs> It just, you have to ask, I mean, I, I, I'm the first person. I gotta look in the mirror first. I mean, I'm supposed to be leading this thing. I'm supposed to be following, listening to the Holy Spirit, doing God. So I, it has to start here. But I think all of us, that sometimes we have to look at ourselves and go, hey, how are we defining success? How are we defining success in our lives? And as a church, collectively, how are we defining success in the, in the church? I was, I was just in Boston at a uh, pastor's conference and a guy there was talking about how he was following this one guy, this mega church pastor from the West Coast. And it's always easy to pick on the West Coast, but um, he said that he was following him and he's in this leadership talk, he was saying, there are five metrics that every church leader and every pastor needs to be tracking. These are five of the most important metrics to be following. He said their church attendance, giving, number of church programs, number of church staff, and the square footage of all of your church properties. Says what scripture? <laughs> but this is the world we live in. And it's really hard to change a problem that you won't even admit exists. Because here in America, bigger must mean better. And I, uh, you know, I, I saw a funny meme on that point. I saw a funny meme the other day. Uh, it said, um, if Paul, if the apostle Paul could see the church of America today, we'd all be getting a letter. <laughs> and it's true. Um, and so I think around 2019, we, we kind of took off after some things that we feel like are getting us closer to what we believe, uh, you know, God had in mind uh, all along. While Darren, this, this pastor Darren that was sharing these about metrics and one, his main point in his talk was making sure that we're measuring the right things and that we're defining success the right way. And um, as he was teaching on this, the Lord just immediately drew me to John chapter six. And I had actually already had an entire message written for, for this Sunday, you know, on eight days of travel. I, I wanted to have all my stuff together before I left. And so I had the message written, but there in that session, I felt like the Lord was saying, no, no, we're gonna do something different today. And so that's kind of how today's message happened was listening to Darren talk about just how are we defining, 
how are we defining success? Uh, just, I know you're already in John chapter six, but we're gonna start um, around verse 43, 43. Let me just give you a little context of what's happened leading up to this. Leading up to this, Jesus has had the miraculous feeding of the 5,000. Uh, he's had his disciples go across the sea. He stayed behind. He comes to them in the night walking on the water. It's the famous story of Jesus walking on the water. Uh, you'll find in there another miracle that almost never gets talked about, but it's freaking cool. Uh, it says that Jesus, and the Bible's always using uh, exacts for a reason. So anytime you see a really um, abstract detail that seems very exact, pay attention to why it's there. Because it says that the disciples, when they had sailed two to three miles, well, what was the point of us knowing that they had sailed two to three miles? Well, the next miracle says that when Jesus came to them walking on the water, he says when he got into the boat, immediately they were to the other side of the, uh, where they were headed. Well, where they were headed was six miles. So it's this miracle where Jesus got in a boat and immediately translated a boat and all of the disciples to another place. That's pretty freaking cool. So, uh, uh, so it's just kind of hidden in there. So you see some stuff in there. Um, Jesus, he gets to Capernaum. Uh, the next day, the people are looking for him. And they're like, man, we know he didn't get on the boat with his disciples. He wasn't where we saw him last when he fed us. And so they got in their boat and just on a hunch headed towards Capernaum. They find Jesus. They find themselves in a dialogue and they're talking to Jesus about some stuff. And he's challenging them with some, with some stuff. And uh, they realize that he's done some miracles, but he's challenging them on a few things. And we're gonna pick that up in verse 43. Now, this is a little bit lengthier reading than I normally do but are you guys okay if we read the Bible at church? All right, good, you're in the right place. Um, verse 43 starts, Jesus therefore answered and said to them, do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. I will raise him and I will raise him up on the la at the last day. It is written in the prophets and they shall be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. Now here, he, he starts an analogy here that's important for us to follow. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever and the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Verse 52, the Jews therefore quarreled among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Anybody agree that's a reasonable question to ask? Seems reasonable. Verse 53, then Jesus said to them, this is just funny to me. Most assuredly I say to you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. Okay, at this point, if I'm, if I'm there, if I'm listening to this sermon, I'm like, bro, you don't have to keep saying it. <laughs> I mean, it, he just kept saying it. Like, I think sometimes we read this and we, we go, oh, remember that time Jesus told him to eat his flesh and drink his blood? No, remember that time he told him 43 times? <laughs> and it's not like this is an easy thing that he's saying. He just keeps saying this really awkward thing. 
eat my flesh, like eat it, like no, eat it with your mouth and chew it with your teeth, eat my flesh, like bro, this is getting awkward. <laughs> this is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the man and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. Now I love this verse, verse 59 says, these things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. He, did the, he taught this message on a Sunday morning at church. Like he didn't wait for like a leadership development class where <laughs> he had some people that he knew were kind of already with him. And he's like, hey, I'm, I got a doozy for you. Y'all got to eat me. You got to eat my flesh. You got to drink my blood. And you know, leaders, you know, they're, they're expected to be able to handle it. No, no. He said, no, this, this is Sunday morning stuff. Imagine if I preached anything similar to this. If anybody preached anything similar to this, crazy town. Verse 60, therefore many of his disciples when they heard this said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? Who can understand it? Verse 61, when Jesus knew in himself, I, I like this, he discerned on the inside that his disciples complained about this. He said to them, does this offend you? Also known as, you mad, bro? So you, you, you mad? You've got a sense that you're mad. You don't want to eat me or drink my blood? What's going on here? He said, does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The, word that I speak to, the, the words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus from the beginning... For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, therefore I've said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by the Father. Verse 66, from that time, many, many of his disciples, they went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the 12, do you also want to go away? It's like Jesus like, stop, you're fixing to have zero followers, zero. But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And also we've come to believe and now know that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. There's a ton to unpack here. And I wanna begin by just talking about the two angles that I myself personally have to read this particular passage through. Uh, start, starting with the fact that I am also a, even though I'm the leader of a church, so in some ways I have a leadership role, I'm also a follower. Like I don't get to not be a disciple just because I'm the leader of a church. In fact, you're, it's, it's, it's good disciples, faithful disciples, and then those that are called, you take, put that together, that's where church leadership is supposed to come from. But I will never, no matter how much I lead, I never stop being a follower. So when I read this, I have to watch and go, okay, I, I wanna be a good follower. But there's a bit of a dichotomy here in that I also have to read this and listen to how Jesus led other disciples. I have to follow him myself, but then I have to learn from him how he led. I have to learn from him how he preached. And I have to look between the lines and allow his preaching, his teaching, his ways, his strategies to tell me if I'm being successful or not at doing my job, at representing Jesus, not just as a savior, but as a leader, 
someone worthy of of following. Look at verse 66 again. It says, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. And as we know, he was left with 12. Now, if attendance, if we're measuring attendance, which we know for a fact that here in America, that's the number one thing. In fact, most conferences, pastors' conferences you go to, you gotta be careful because it, it, it becomes how big is your church? How many services are you doing? It's like, how many campuses you got? It's this attendance thing. We know that that exists here in America, particularly. But if, it, if attendance was the primary metric in Jesus' world, then Jesus just took an L. Jesus just, I mean, apparently he did not preach the right message because he went from many to few. The American model says we're supposed to be going from few to many. Jesus just went from many to few. Imagine if this happened today. I would look at this room and I would say there are, at least to some standard, there are many people in this room. What if only 12 of you came back next week? I would not feel good about what I preached. I would be rethinking my life. (laughs) It it would not be deemed a successful message. And yet Jesus, the head of the church, preached a perfect message and many turned into few. As As a leader, I'm forced to look at this and go, oh, okay. I think I see a little bit about the heart of Jesus. I think Jesus valued purity overpopulation. Jesus valued purity over population. His message lowered the population and he didn't even try to soften it. He just kept saying, eat it, eat it, eat. Just over and, and double down. He didn't soften it. When people started leaving, he didn't say, hey, wait, 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 guys, stick around. I'll give you, an, I'll give you another metaphor. That one clearly didn't work. You've been following me for so long, I don't wanna teach anything that makes you leave. If you don't get offended. In fact, it's almost like he just kept poking them. Just kept on. Many left, few were remaining. And I would propose that, like I said, Jesus values purity over population. He had fewer in number, but I propose to you that the density was better. The faith density had increased. The commitment level had increased. All of a sudden, he, he knew more about the 12 than maybe, and again, I think he, clearly he already knew what was going on, that there was some unbelief in there. But the, I, I just propose to you that sometimes Jesus would preach messages not to grow the population, but to grow the faith and to purify followers. Why? Because he's fixing to hand his ministry over to some people. He needs to know what's in there. He needs to know what's in there. Are you, are you only following me because I can perform a few miracles and give you a little bread and a little fish a little egg, and when you forget your lunch? Is this why you're following me? Or can I say something that freaks you out and you say, yeah, I don't know, huh? I don't really know what he meant by that, but I ain't going nowhere. I, I ain't going nowhere. And again, I, I'm, I'm stuck in this because as a leader, I have to not just follow Jesus. I have, to fo- I have to imitate him as a leader too. 
And it's only fair for you to know, I'm not preaching a message today so you'll come back. I've, I, if I'm following him, I'm supposed to preach a message that caused you to come up, not come back. Thousands and thousands of messages are being, being preached today with one thing in mind. I want more people to come back. And if I have to explain it in a very, if I, if, I, if I have to take a really clear truth in scripture and soften it, I mean, charming double extra stuff soft so that people will come back, that's what we'll do. Because after all, population means success. I, pr I propose not in Jesus's world. Jesus was the original church builder. He was the original, he still is the head of the church, but he was the original church leader. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18 says, I say also unto thee thou art, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock, this was Jesus speaking, I will build my church. I will build my church. Everything Jesus did was building his church. And what kind of church was he building? And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. How many times in scripture do we see Jesus shrinking the crowd to get what he needed to accomplish the task? Shrinking it. The problem <laughs> then becomes that if I'm a follower of Jesus, not just as a disciple, but I'm talking about as a Jesus, you, you are the example for a church leader. You're, you're my example now, then I have to listen to how he preaches. I have to listen to what he preaches about. I have to acknowledge that in this particular situation, it's like he kept doing this. He kept repeating the hard thing over and over and over and over and over again. Then I have to look at that and go, okay, if he didn't avoid certain things, I can't either. So I, I have to talk about topics like tithing. See, I don't get a choice. St statistics will tell you, uh, tell us that in, in a really, really good church, in a really good church, 30% of the people tithe, 30%. Which right now tells me that 70% of you, as soon as I said tithing, you're already pissed. <laughs> and I said pissed, <laughs> twice, no. But here's the thing, I didn't tell you to tithe, he did. Amen. He did, ah, that's the old covenant. No, Jesus was the embodiment of the new covenant. Jesus said, Matthew 23, 23, you should tithe. Ah, that's the law. No, no, it, it started before the law. Yes. It's, it's a thing. And if, if we're a really good church, 70% of you are not following this. But if I'm following Jesus as a church leader, knowing this, I'm gonna sit here and say, tithe, 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 tithe. How many times do you say, eat my flesh? <laughs> and I'm, think of the tension. Think of the tension. Again, what's the goal? I said earlier that my goal is not to get you to come back. I really want you to come back. <laughs> Can I just get that off my chest? Now I mean this. 
I really want you to come back because I believe in this word. But I believe it enough to not give you my words. I have to give you his. My words haven't changed my life. My words have gotten me in a lot of trouble. Anybody else? You got them kind of... But his words have brought me life. And his words have told me that he's not a respecter of persons. And if he's faithful to me, he's faithful to you. If he's kind to me, he'll be kind to you. If he loves me unconditionally, he'll love you unconditionally. I don't have anything to preach if it's not his word. That means I have to talk about sexual sin. I have to talk about homosexuality. We have to talk about transgenderism. We have to talk about these things. And then the reason our country is in this condition that it's in right now is because we were scared to. You know why? Because we wanted people to come back. Better not say that, because they won't, they for sure won't come back. Our kids are clueless. And so they're going, well, never heard anything else. Maybe, maybe, a, maybe this boy is a girl trapped in a boy's body. Maybe you can love whoever you want. Maybe it's not as big a deal as some are making it out to be. You know the majority of the ones that think like that? Can I be your pastor for just a minute? It ain't, it ain't because I won't say anything. It's because you won't say anything. You know how little time I get with your kids? <laughs> you know how much time you get with your kids? And you think that you're going to take them to church and say, hey, tell them. <laughs> and usually in that accent. <laughs> no. You know who their first pastors are? You. But we're terrified. Partially we're terrified because we don't know what we're actually talking about. Because if your kid were to say, Dad, would you show, Mom, would you show me where that scripture is? I mean, just rigor mortis. <laughs> I'm sure it's in there somewhere. Just, you find it. I'm, this is a test for you. I know where it's at. I was wondering if you know where it's at. We don't know. We don't know where it's at. And it's really hard to take your kids somewhere you've never been. Read your Bible, go to church. Read your Bible, go to church. Listen to the Holy Spirit, lay hands on the sick, evangelize. Mom, dad, you do that? Well, we're not talking about me right now. We're talking about you. Do as I say, not as I do. We have to lead. And so we have to tell our kids, like we have to talk about sex with our kids. We have to teach them the game of baseball. And we need to know what base they've been to. We, <laughs> we need to know if our kids are sluggers, if you know what I'm talking about. Just knocking home runs. I mean, it's, we need to know. But we, if we're terrified, because see, I, I know with both my kids. You know why I know? Because I actually ask them. I have the courage to ask them. Hey, y'all held hands yet? He tried to touch you? What did he try to touch? Do you want me to kill him? <laughs> <You know. laughs> 
we, we have to have these conversations with our kids. And then we, you know what we need to tell them more than anything? Baseball is fun. Y'all act like I'm not preaching scripture. What did Jesus tell Adam and Eve to do? Be fruitful. What does that mean? Have sex. Y'all just baby, y'all need to know if you can laugh at what I'm saying right now. He, he told us, this is what we were created. So we have to tell them, you're gonna freaking love baseball once you learn the rules. Once you learn the rules, you're gonna love it. If you don't play by the rules, it will hurt you. It'll hurt you. And I'm not being, I'm not even being funny. How many of the plates that were broken the other Wednesday night have to do with this? Teach them. Teach them. So then that they have the truth to measure against the lies that they're hearing from the world. And make the truth sound fun. <laughs> make it sound fun. Tell them about it. So that when they hear this other, they're like, you know, I, I, that, doesn't, that doesn't line up. I mean, y'all know this, but you know how they train people to spot counterfeit $100 bills, right? They don't show them all the ways that you can counterfeit. They just show them the real thing. So if when you know the real thing all the way, as soon as you see something that doesn't look like the real thing, it's like, nah, that, uh, that's, I smell a rat. So when they hear homosexuality, transgenderism, when they hear those things, they go, nah, something about that doesn't line up. Now, the second thing that we have to, the other thing we have to address in this is stop acting like they're not telling the truth about what they're feeling. Because if we're being really honest, especially dads, it scares dads more than even admit that. No, not my son, especially here in the South. Uh-uh. Don't, don't even talk like that. Instead of going, hey, 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 we got a problem here. We need to talk about this. What's going on? And we, we shame them with our anger saying, no, no, don't feel that way. Don't. Okay, great. Now your son just shut down. You lost the ability to parent him because of your fear and your insecurity. And now you no longer get to talk to him about the truth. Got to be what was scripture? Wise as a serpent, gentle as a dove. Talk to me. Tell me what, what are you thinking? And we got to acknowledge that there are spirits out there whispering in our kids' ears and telling them, this is who you are. Oh, I'll, you know the reason you were molested when you were a kid? It's because something's wrong with you. People believe that. I don't get a choice whether I talk about abortion or not. And I, I'm not building a platform on it. I'm not saying every, you know, I'm not turning into a, this political activist, but it has to be said. It has to be said. There, there is not a scenario that it's right to kill. And I had, I've had to sit down with my own daughters. Dad, what about this scenario? You're right. It's gonna require a lot of faith in that scenario. No, 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 but what about, the, the, can't, not surely in this one. Yeah, not according to scripture. Doesn't that, doesn't that seem weird to you? Yeah, it kind of does. But like Peter said, we believe that your words are life. I've chosen to go this route. Where else am I gonna go? There's not another book. 
Jesus isn't coming out with 2.0. He's not fixing to drop a new download and say, you know what? First version was a little harsh. I admit it. A little too black and white in a few things. We're gonna send the updated version. He's not. But if I'll stick to version 1.0, there are so many versions inside me available. 2.0, 3.0. Because why? Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind until my thinking and my feeling is more in line with 1.0. The Bible says, build yourself up on your most holy faith. Did you know it's the only place in scripture that talks about your most holy faith? Now, what kind of leader would I be if there was holy faith and most holy faith available and I hid the most holy faith from you? Oh, you're not ready for the most. I want, I want it all. You should want it all. Build yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in other tongues. These signs shall follow him who believes. They'll lay hands on the sick, they'll cast out devils. They will speak in other tongues. It's a sign of a believer, not a sign of a crazy. Now, does it challenge the thinking? Of course it does. We were talking about this in our uh, Wednesday nights, prayer, uh, when we did the core value on prayer. Man, it, I've watched this. It's, it's a, when people are trying to open their mouth and praying tongues for the first time, I mean, a torment comes on them. And the enemy's working double time saying, you're an idiot, you're an idiot. This is stupid, this is not a real thing. This is stupid, this is stupid. Why? Because he doesn't want you to have access to that power. But if I just want you to come back, let's, let's, you know what? We'll save that for a leadership development class. Jesus didn't save stuff for the leadership development class. So I, at a minimum, if I'm a follower of him, just like you're supposed to be, like we're all supposed to be, I gotta open this, I gotta open this can of worms. We gotta talk about pride. We gotta talk about the dangers of that. We gotta talk about gossip and slander. We gotta talk about how the, you gotta have your mouth under control. The Bible says the tongue is a fire. And some of you in here are professional arsonists. <laughs> Am I right? Scripture says, he who is perfect in speech is a perfect man. That's interesting. That's a very interesting thing to say. I mean, if, just, if we could just control this one tiny member, like the scripture calls it, we can be perfect. We ought to be, talk, we ought to be talking about, what this, about this member and teaching you and training you how to use it the right way. We gotta talk about this. We gotta talk about unforgiveness. Now, when I, when I get to unforgiveness, I just need to be honest with you. There's a... There's a soberness that comes over me. Because at the end of the day, I've lived a pretty good life. I've never been abused, had amazing parents. Worst thing anybody's ever done for me is, well, oh, you're, you're stupid and I'm leaving your church. Well, okay. Or stole some money from me or done. Yeah. I've really not ever been violated or, I mean, let's just be honest. Some of us, it's like, oh, I'm so hurt. What really hurt you? But then there's others. And when I say forgiveness, it's a little easier for me to say than it is for you to say. And I'm very aware of that. And as aware of, I'm, and, I can, and I don't even understand your position. And I say I'm very aware of it as much as I know how to be. And so when I say that word forgive and you think about how you have been hurt and what has been done to you, 
those thoughts cross your mind. Well, that's really easy for you to say, crack jokes and get everybody laughing. This is not, it's not a laughing matter. But I love this word too much and I love you too much not to say that you have to forgive. Because according to this scripture, if you don't forgive, he can't forgive you. And I promise you, you need that. So is that painful? Could that, could that, and this is real stuff here. Could even me talking about this trigger you in such a way where you're like, you know what, I'm not, I'm not coming back. I can't, I can't be in an environment that, that, that triggers, that's a, that's a buzzword in, in today's culture, that triggers me like that. You know what, I'll have to live with that. But I planted a seed. And the scripture is very clear. One man plants, another waters. And I have to trust that if I'm planting this seed, not my seed, not my opinions or my ideas, but if I'm planting this seed, the seed of the word of God, that God is faithful, he is true. He'll send somebody else. Oh, you might try to run and hide. <laughs> and you might can run and hide from this church, but you ain't running and hiding from him. And he's gonna send somebody else along the way and they're gonna water that seed that I planted years later. And then he's gonna bring about an increase because he cares about you. Cares about you. John 6, 60, therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this, they said, this is a hard, it's a hard saying. A couple other translations. One translation says, on hearing, it, on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is difficult teaching. Who can accept it? Amplified, my favorite says, when many of his disciples heard this, they said, this is difficult and harsh and offensive. Did you know that those are words that the enemy will whisper in your ear when someone's bringing truth to you sometimes? Oh, that's too harsh. That's too harsh. This is difficult and harsh and an offensive statement. Who can be expected to listen to this? Who can be expected to listen to this? Disciples. Disciples. Christians, they don't have to listen to this. Because one day they raised their hand and said, hey, I definitely don't want to go to hell. And if it's an A and B, I'd choose heaven. And if Jesus is my savior, I want that. Hang on a second. There's more scriptures. Jesus actually said at one point in the last days, many will say, will call on me, Lord, Lord. And he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. And they'll be like, confusion. Wait, 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 Lord, we... We did some incredible things in your name. And you say, no, depart from me, I never knew you. There's other scriptures that we have to hold in tension, not to feel shame, but can I just be honest with you? There needs to be a level of urgency that Christians not enough, we must be a follower. There needs to be a level of urgency there. Who can be expected to listen to this? Who, could, who should be expected to listen to stuff like that? Telling me I've got to give 10% of my income, that no matter what the circumstance, abortion is wrong, that there's only two genders, male and female, and there are, it's only men marrying women and women marrying men. Who, who can sit there and listen to this? Disciples. Followers. Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we've also come to believe that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Number one, there was no plan B. 
You don't need to have a plan B. Number two, your words are life, even if they're hard to hear. We have to believe his words are the answers to life. And number three, you're God. So the three points Peter gave him, I mean, what else are we gonna do? Say no to our creator? I mean, think of the foolishness. If we believe this Bible, to walk away from it, even if it's a hard saying, is to walk away from the one who created you in the first place. Now, how smart does that sound? We've gotta get to the place where we embrace the difficult truths of the Bible, which means we have to know the difficult truths of the Bible, which means we have to read and listen to the Bible. The Bible says, my my people perish for a lack of knowledge. You're not supposed to just read your Bible just so you feel good about the fact that you read your Bible. No, you need to know what you're supposed to be following. Second thing I wrote down, don't follow popular, follow Jesus. Many walked away, few stuck around. Popular opinion was this is too hard of a saying. Popular opinion said that's not real love. Popular opinion says if you love me, you'll accept me just like I am. It's not scripture. Jesus came preaching, repent for the kingdom of of heaven is at hand. What does repent mean? Go a different direction than you're currently going. And last but not least, when confronted by Jesus and the word, just change. And change requires humility. Change requires courage. You know, if your wife doesn't know that you've been looking at porn for the last 20 years, change is gonna be hard. It's gonna require some courage. If you're having an affair, if you're cheating on your taxes, something else is good. To say, hey, now again, what's the goal? Purity. Jesus valued purity over population. So when I recognize that, man, there's something going on in here that according to this is not supposed to be going on, I say, Lord, I I need courage because this is gonna require me to make some significant changes in my life. This is gonna require some pain. Some of the change, let's just call it like it is. Cause here's the thing. I don't wanna make it sound like this is gonna be so easy. Oh, well, I'm just gonna tell my wife, I've been having an affair, I'm sure it'll be great. It won't be for a little while. But you have to love this word enough. You have to believe that his words are eternal life. You gotta believe it enough to, like the scripture says, daily pick up your cross, follow him. Daily. What are the, what's the symbolism here? The cross was his difficult assignment. It was his most difficult assignment. For some of you, your most difficult assignment right now, your cross is getting rid of hidden sin. You gotta get rid of it. I'm not here to judge. Truth brings freedom. <laughs> But we've, we've got to get that in our, it's like, hey, we have to have Peter's words go in our head. What's the other option? If I want to be a follower, what's the other option? We believe you are what you said you are. And so even if it's hard, difficult, I watched a thing the other day, 
just Google this and look it up, how all the other disciples were killed. They did not sign, they weren't signing up for Jets and the Ritz-Carlton. That's not what they're signing up for. They paid a price. And I believe that they paid a, the, their ability to pay that level of price is because of how close they were. They saw him. They knew him. And I think we've got to get to the point where we see him and we know him and we're willing to pay any price to follow him. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you felt encouraged by today's message. If you need prayer or would like to connect with us, find us on social media or by going to renewlifechurch.com.